Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Marcus Godbold, who is a senior manager within the Thor engineering team. Marcus started his recruitment career eight years ago, straight out of university. He worked at one company for 12 months before then joining Thor companies. He was their 10th hire, and they're now um, a business of just under 100 people. So he joined Thor companies at the very early stages of their business journey. And over the last seven years, he has accelerated his recruitment career from consultant all the way to senior manager. And he is now responsible for 23 consultants and the growth of the engineering division. Marcus, thanks for uh, joining me on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Hisham. So where we always like to start is with uh, a question I think you're always thinking about when hiring for your teams. And that is, in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant? So I think the first thing for me is somebody who's able to build relationships. And, you know, I'm not just talking about the relationships where you know, you're taking clients out into the, the city to take them for dinner or anything okay. like that. I think what I'm talking about is being able to show genuine care and compassion to people that you're trying mm. to help. Um, you know, I, I think a, a major thing for me was I always try to use start and end conversations that I have about business um, with something personal and, and about what they like and um, get on a level with that person. And I, I think that that's something that's really, really important to me and what I pride myself on and what I look for when I'm hiring future people. I think the, um, the second thing is that somebody's a good listener. And I think the reason being is because when I first started in recruitment and I think at school and everything like that, I, I wasn't actually the best listener as a person. Um, however, I kind of learn how to be, you know, I have to write things down, read it, say it sometimes to, to really like have that three or four times repetition. Um, and I think when I started to do that a lot better, I started to get a lot better. So, you know, when somebody is coming into the team, I always make sure that they can repeat information that I'm saying, or, or I understand how they can do that basically. So to summarize relationship building and listening are two really, really important aspects. I think that any recruiter needs. Love that. Interested in the first point there. How, how do you look for that in people? Like, how do you find that out about them? How do you find out if they're someone that's compassionate, like in the, in the interview environment out of interest, how do you typically try and find that? Yeah. So I, I think that, um, one thing that I've always prided myself on is that no matter what kind of room I've sat in, you know, I've, whether it's with a 50 year old CEO or whether it's, um, you know, a candidate who's the same age as me or something like that, I've always been able to adapt to that kind of environment. And I think that um, one reason for that is when I was younger, I was very exposed to lots of different um, adult environments, if you like, you know, my dad played football, my mum's friends were always over, we had a lot of relationships with adults. And you know, there was a, a lot of times when I had to kind of sit around a group of adults and, and behave in, in that sort of way. And I, I like to, um, you know, deep dive into what other people that I'm trying to hire have been exposed to in, in that regard as well. So, you know, have they only been to school? And if they've only been to school and only been to university and all the friends and people that they've hung around with have only been their age, you know, how likely is it that they're going to be able to hold a room with people who are a lot more kind of senior than them and behave on the same level as them and you know really meet them uh, um, at that level so um yeah I, I really like to understand that about a person and um you know what their kind of upbringing was like in that regard interesting so really excited to unpack this journey of yours and the journey that you're still on so just to to frame this up so obviously uh, graduated from the university of hull from what i can see so sport and exercise right yeah um assuming your dad maybe had a bit of an influence on that if you liked football and stuff like that um, yeah he was uh he played football for norwich so oh um, really nice I, I wanted to follow in his footsteps but uh never was quite good enough really oh yeah, yeah. Did that did that did that kill you a bit uh, no i mean no i think it's obviously the dream when you're a kid but you you grow up when you hit you know 17 18 years old and yeah. uh, realize that it's not going to happen i think <laughs> 
just yeah. so so what what I was going to say but I want I want to ask you a question about your dad very quickly but so obviously graduated there then obviously got into um 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 yeah so and then you got into recruitment right yeah um so can I just talk very briefly around the first year before then obviously really unpacking this really amazing journey that you've been on from yeah being a temp company to now being a business that's around 100 people but yeah. very quickly just because I'm curious like mm-hmm. What, what was it like to be surrounded by someone, so talking about your dad, who clearly yeah. would have had high standards, mm. like obviously that, like for him to be at that professional level, that, yeah. that takes a lot, right? A lot of commitment, potentially mm. a lot of sacrifice, maybe you would have seen him working hard, putting all, like what would you say were the main things, if, looking back or taking a step back, would you say that you took from your dad that you think, has really stuck with you or maybe what he shown you that has really stuck with you to think that's maybe showed itself up in the professional world for you yeah definitely so I, I think when um when i played football um you know i used to basically stand on the left wing and be really good at crossing um yeah and i didn't ever really want to tackle that much or you know get stuck in and uh my dad was the opposite to that i think you know he played right back and um you know he was always like um you don't have the um you don't have the drive you don't have the guts you don't have the you know the softer parts um to really really make it as a footballer and um obviously that's quite a a tough criticism when you you know 14 15 years old but i think someone telling you that from quite an early age um really holds you in good stead for the future because you know that's your development area in early age and you you want it even better and i think that when i grew up and realized that i wasn't going to become a footballer or anything like that i realized that when i played football in the future you know i'd have to have that drive the motivation the the, uh, you know i need to mean it i need to um really give it all i've got and all that sort of stuff rather than just thinking i could stand on the wing and and chuck balls in the box and it's going to happen but actually you know get my hands dirty a little bit and i I think that that was that was great um and he uh he uh, was managed by a really hard bastard um, <laughs> at Norwich. He was a, sla- a bit of a slave driver. So, you know, some of the criticism I came in for from him was pretty tough, but, you know, I, I think it helped. He was also in sales as well when he quit playing football. Um, really? So I think, yeah, so I think that that, that that helped. You know, he's got some empathy around what I've been through and, and stuff like yeah. that. So that was a good influence. Did you have, I feel like you getting that feed, like... Do you feel like you had a point to prove then? To be like, well, no, Dad, like, I, I do have grit. I can, like, I don't know. Did you have a bit? Was that part of what is maybe driving yeah, you? I, I think so. I think so. Maybe subconsciously. It's not something, you know, I, I kind of went into and thought about each day. Like, I, I want to prove my dad wrong or anything like that. Yeah. It was more the opposite. It was like, I want to make him proud. Um, yeah, nice. You know, and, and that that was the that was the main thing, I think. Um, and, you know, I think what when I, uh, I used to help him out when I was 17, 18 years old, you know, collect footballs at this uh, at this refereeing thing um, that he used to do, and you know, I basically used to sit on the floor sometimes um, while I was like about to collect footballs, and he was just like, "Stand up, you're on the job. People know you're getting paid. You need to show everybody why you're getting paid, and you need to be on it." And I wow. think that that was a really good lesson as well. Yeah, I love that. Thank, thanks so yeah. much for, for sharing that. Tough so, love. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so always interested to hear about first year recruitment because you, t- you typically always hear from people and I'm sure you communicate this in your own way now, like it is a difficult part of your recruitment journey and these things. So obviously from, from what we can see, obviously you worked at one company for a year and then, then obviously you've joined Thor companies and, and it's been a real success, although there's been plenty of bumps along the road. So like just talk to us about that first year then, like... <clears throat> How do you describe your first year in recruitment coming straight out of university? Yeah, so I'd say my first year in recruitment was pretty horrific. Um, yeah. I uh, I really, really struggled, I think, with a couple of things. I think, firstly, you know, the environment was tough. You know, if you were at the bottom, you were at the bottom and you were treated that way, in, in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, you get the training and, and, you know, certain people in the team are nice, but, you know, you can just tell from everybody else in the business how they're how they're viewing you and then i think um uh it was so kpi driven very kind of um uh, which works for some people but it didn't necessarily work for me 
um, you know, I was hitting the numbers and I was doing what I was getting told. And the only feedback I was getting was you're doing what you're being told. It will come. It will come. And, um, you know, I, I think the reason why I stayed in the business for a year, having only done two deals was because I was hitting all of my KPIs. Um, but I wasn't getting the, the attention where it was just like, cool, um, your calls are going like this. I had some really good call coaching by a, an L&D person and that was great. But what I didn't have was the strategic knowledge of where to focus my time. You know, I was mm. spending some time in Poland, in South Africa, in, you know, Timbuktu, wherever, trying to do deals. And, you know, when it came to the crunch, it wasn't necessarily ever going to happen because the rates were too low or there was withholding tax or anything like that. And, you know, the feedback I kept doing, I kept getting was just keep doing what you're doing. And, um, I, um, yeah, I think I, I got a bit fed up of that. Um, and I, I thought about leaving recruitment altogether, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I started with 14 people in the graduate Academy. I was one of only two left. So I don't feel like I was the only person who felt like this. And I felt like I had some unfinished business really. Um, because I saw other people who were looking, who were working around me and, um, you know, I thought they were they were good good people. They were good at what they do, but I always thought I could have been better, to be honest. And I thought that people could I could build relationships better than the person next to me who was doing really really well. Um, and I was just like, I'm not really w willing to waste a year of my life having done this and come away with absolutely nothing because I did two deals, but I didn't make any commission in a year. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, it, but okay. in hindsight, I would say it's literally the best thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, it really is. And I think that um, going from university where, you know, you feel like you're a big fish in a, in a, in a, um, a small pond and, you know, you're in the AU and playing football and all that shit, um, you know, it doesn't really compare or prepare you for what you're about to go into. And I, I needed that shock, I think, to whip me into shape a little bit. Yeah. So, so there's a couple of things that I, I want to ask you here. So one I think you sort of touched on it a bit, but I'm just, just interested to hear like what two deals in that year didn't make any commission. Like wh why didn't you quit? I think it partly it was because of the point I saw other people doing really well who I thought it could be better than. Yeah. Secondly, it was, um, yeah, this point that I didn't want to give up leaving with nothing. Um, and I think third was Thor and, um, the interview that I had with, uh, Nick and Chris, the directors, um it was a brilliant brilliant conversation one of the best i've ever had and you know the i, I thought about i applied for so many other jobs like four or five yeah. other jobs in hr and internal recruitment and that sort of thing but um i had a chat with them and their view of recruitment was exactly what i thought i was going into when people were describing it to me before university um very quality driven very relationship driven you get to go and meet your clients you know you get to actually spend time on your interviews and nurture them and, and prepare them properly and you know not just be driven by stats all the time and um i think that also made me think actually you know maybe a smaller environment where i can learn off these guys will be a lot better suited to me yeah that makes sense and then the, the other thing that i just wanted to get your thoughts on i've been uh, recording like a sort of graduate stroke entry level focus podcast series in the past couple of weeks. So obviously you've been on that journey, as you said, like you felt like in hindsight is actually the best thing that ever happened to you needed to that shock. So I guess with hindsight, anyone listening to this that at the moment may have just graduated or is currently going through that process of interviewing at recruitment businesses or considering recruitment as a career, like what, what would you say to those people in preparation for that first year, knowing what you know now? I think stick with it. At the end of the day, the job gets easier the longer that you do it. Um, and, you know, what I've learned certainly through my time at Thor is if you spend enough time in a, a skill set, which, which is a niche where, you know, your managers have got a proven track record that there is deals to be done there, then trust them and really, really stick with it. Um, and, you know, it may be the case that after, um, you know, two months, three months, four months, you're not doing any deals, but all those conversations, as long as they're good quality and on the right strategy, um, you know, they, they. Yeah. Love that. So let's unpack this, this seven year journey so far then, because 
I think not not every sort of um, not everyone goes on that journey where you're like the tenth hire, and then a lot of obviously recruitment companies, I'm sure, would have said, "Look, Marcus, this is where we are today. This is where we're going to be in X amount of years," and that doesn't always come true, right? So obviously, you're tenth hire at the four companies you mentioned around how what really resonated with you is how they thought about recruitment, how they approached it. Um, and obviously, yeah, they're now getting to the mark of having a hundred people in the business. So let's um, unpack this. I guess what what I'm interested to understand first, and this you may talk about all different parts of this seven years so far, but I think it's really interesting the part that you said around you didn't have like the support on the strategy planning piece. Mm. I'm just interested in that. I feel like you, what you're sort of saying is like having a niche or having a focus, but like how like from that learning. Like, how have you then made sure that you you do have that? Or like, how have you made sure you do have that in the last 70? Like, what do you actually mean by that? How have you then applied strategic planning to building out markets, desks, helping your consultants in the last seven years out of interest? I'm just really curious on that. This podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning Sourcebreaker. This week, I have another Sourcebreaker story for you. To listen to how Sourcebreaker has helped this consultant do deals. I had worked the tenancy manager vacancy twice over with no results, having gone through numerous first and second stage interviews. I was running out of candidates as the location was quite remote and I had exhausted the talent pool in the area. After having some great training with Jamie, great work, Jamie. I set up a source bot on the vacancy. The following day, the source bot picked up a perfect candidate who lives around the corner. Within a week, I secured her the role. After having the vacancy for two months, the candidate was absolutely thrilled as she had been searching for a role for six months. She was a single mother and needed a position to support her family. She was so grateful to find her dream job, and the client felt it was a perfect fit. Thanks to Sourcebreaker, I have a very happy client and an even happy candidate. If any of you have not looked at or researched the Sourcebreaker tool yet, please go and check it out. You will not regret it. You listen to this podcast, you even get an exclusive saving. There's so many of these stories that I could read to you, but this tool is one of those game-changing tools that you just have to look at and consider to be part of your tech stack, part of the tools that you have to be successful. Use the link in the show notes to get your exclusive savings and enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, so I think the the first um, the first part was I, I started with um, working within HSEQ um, globally. And although the niche was HSEQ, um, it was the case that there is, um, yeah, like all, <laughs> all over the world, like way too much to go at, basically. Um, and then, yeah, when I basically moved to Thor, they were very focused on Norwegian oil and gas. And I specifically just focused on the subsea engineering sector. Um, right. And although I still didn't have that much success within my first year, I think, again, I did like two deals within that. Um partly because of the, the market crash, but partly because I still had a lot of development areas. Um, I really learned how to map out a market, um, understand how many engineers within which disciplines are in each company, understand how to ask the candidates how to get that information and really become a genuine market expert. And I'm not talking a market expert about, you know, what the technical engineering pieces and what OrcaFlex is and all that shit. I'm talking about tangible recruitment information where you know if somebody gives you a job how many candidates there are in the market that you can go mm. at and you can say to a client um okay great well you need a rigid pipeline engineer oh right well there's 40 there's 40 people who do that in the market well there's 42 people who do that in the market of which i've spoken to this many in the last six months here's how many people could be interested. So you need to be looking at a time frame of between three and four months when this project finishes and those people could become available. Um, that, is, that. that is being a market expert. Um, you know, you don't have to be an engineer to be an amazing technical recruiter. Um, and I think that when you're able to say that um, to a client, right, then and you're not just sat there and just being like, oh yeah, we'll get those people easy. 
when they know it's not easy. So who are you trying to kid? You know, people love the modesty. And I think that that's um, what I really, really learned within the oil and gas sector. Um, when I moved over into my core market, which was the infrastructure sector in Sweden, um, I applied this, exactly the same thing. Uh, and I think that um, the problem was the Norwegian oil and gas sector, which was in my first 18 months in Thor, was um, the market had dropped off just as I yeah. started to get good. And I don't like blaming external factors. Maybe I should have moved over sooner. But, um, you know, like the buying signs weren't there. There were candidates that flooded the market. No one was hiring anymore, et cetera. So when I, when I then understood and learned all those principles and moved over into the, the Swedish market, that's when it started to really, really start to kick on. And, and um, I, I found that, that niche and, and the honeypot. And, um, you know, I, I think after doing like four deals in my first, two years in recruitment and not earning any commission. I then did 48 placements in two years um, by finding that niche. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, um, and, you know, managing people now, um, I, I, as a company, we have, to, um, we have to basically have people who are really working hard in our core markets, what we're doing now, but we've also want to have people within a, with a growth mindset. And by that, I mean, you know, people who can carve out newer niches and, and help grow the business and, and one day they'll have their own team. Um, and, you know, I think what I say to those people is you've got to start off quite broad and really understand and smell what sells. I don't know whether you've ever seen The Apprentice, but they have that market stall thing where it's yeah, like, yeah. okay, that's selling more, buy loads more of that. Um, and yeah, I think that I, I really, really understood that in Stockholm and that's what I really encourage my team to do, basically. Smell what sells, um, get build up your inventory of candidates. You know, you wouldn't open a shop without filling the shelves with stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, basically, once you've done that, then go out to the market, see who could be interested in which type of candidate, and then that that's basically the niche that you can go into. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. So, a cu- couple of things that I want to j- just sort of uncover a, a bit here. So, um, obviously, you mentioned around the. So yeah, you went from like, as you said, first two years, not having loads of success to then like, then it going a lot more better or how you'd hoped your recruitment Mm. career would go. Right. So just for a bit of context really quickly, have you always done, have you always done perm or contract or both? I've done both. Okay, cool. So at that time in your journey, was you doing contract or perm in Stockholm? Um, So the first year was all contract. Um, Second year in Norway was, uh, per man contract um, yeah. in Stockholm. In Stockholm, it was probably ninety five percent in, in oh. Sweden. Okay, cool. Yeah. And that's when you did like just under fifty placements. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Perfect. So just just interested here. So like I know you. So you've mentioned. So you said like you took away some of these core principles. I guess I'm just trying to uncover what maybe some of the other principles are that you took away that you had to learn the hard way or the long way in those first couple of years. But mm. obviously, a lot of recruiters listen to this will obviously have to go on that journey of like building out their new market or building out their own client list and these types of things right so I guess what I'm just interested to find out from you I know you were just talking a bit about it on trying to maybe start a bit broad understand what sells build up your inventory and relationships of candidates but like obviously looking back and maybe Mm. you can also draw on your team as well but like as as you were building out that that market, like mm. what ended up being your most trusted way of like building client relationships out of interest? Like what ended up being the, your the most um, efficient way of you, yeah, um, partnering with clients, getting more of those opportunities? Because I think that's typically where obviously a lot of people struggle or find the the biggest challenge when building out a new market. So what talk to me a bit about your strategy or what ended up working on that side? Yeah, so I've heard it a couple of times in your your podcast, but um, it, it's a lot to do with going to meet people. Um, okay. And, you know, I think the fact that I've basically been an English person working in a foreign market and I've made the effort to um, fly to another country to go and meet people um, has been amazing. So uh, I think in that two-year period, I actually had a look the other day for one of my appraisals I had 56 client meetings in Norway or Sweden, and I also wow. went to six different conferences as well in Norway or Sweden, and whilst still living in London. 
Um, so that's like, you know, every four to eight weeks, really, really making the effort to go and see people. Um, and I think that, you know, when you're an English person sat in the room and you know all about the local area and, you know, different yeah. words within the, within the local language that kind of really, um, you know, sets you apart from, from other people. So, um, and then I think that again, when, when you're there, um, you know, being able to be passionate, get a bit emotional about your brand and what you're doing, you know, be realistic about the type of people that you're presenting and, and just be really quite honest, like no bullshit sales, just. You know, be honest in what you can deliver, what you can't. People will buy into that a lot more than, you know, saying you've got hundreds of candidates in the skill set that you just don't. Um, and, you know, I, I've always worked off the basis that if you if you show people and if you're passionate about what you're doing, then people will believe in it. And, uh, yeah, I think that you can only really do that properly face-to-face, -face. sit there, shake, a ha shake their hands, have a coffee with them, take them for a pint, um, and then, you know, I, I think that that's the best way to business, do business development and conferences. I absolutely love conferences. I think they're so much fun. Um, I think every single recruiter should have the, um, drive and will to go to an industry conference. You know, they should meet people network in the room. And it's, it's a really daunting feeling having to go up to somebody the first time in, in the room, shake their hand when they don't know you and never even heard of you, but the buzz is unreal and uh you know the relationships that you can build off that are, are superb so yeah i definitely definitely think that face-to-face -face contact is is 100 percent what you should be pushing for and i get that when you're new to a new to a company they don't necessarily invest in you and, and back you back you to do that but um i think when i worked at thor i said to nick and chris look i've got to go out there within the next two months i never got the opportunity um, at, at my old company, I really want to go there as soon as possible so I can feel it and get a taste of it. And um, after two months, they sent me out there on a, on a conference and I was just like, this is so cool. I'm in, um, you know, I, I can't wait to do more of this. So, so it seems like the, the answer there is like, you just really doubled down and invested in relationships, made the effort to get over there really. Yeah. Okay. That, so just two, two things that I want to uh, go into. So first, I know hopefully we can get uh, more opportunities to go to conferences again really soon, which yeah. is re really exciting, right? But yeah. I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. What, so like, what, how do you now approach conferences that you think gives you the cha best chance of like maximizing your time there? So like maybe the way that you approach the first one, it'd be totally different to like the way that you approach the fifth one. What, what I'm trying to find out is, which I had to learn the hard way, right? When I first attended like networking events, I used to recruit in the insurance industry and I'd attend insurance events. Like it can be daunting, right? And like, I think the wrong mindset, which I learned was the goal isn't to like try and give out as many business cards as possible, right? It's yeah. more about like, how, how can you, sort of try and work the room and make as many connections as possible by not always just talking about you and finding out, like asking things about other people. And like, do, like that's how I then try to approach things. Like, mm. I, like the goal of like having an interaction with someone isn't to talk about recruitment and isn't to give them my business card. It was more about mm. to at least get the space to go, Hey, this is me. This is what I do. But to, like find out more about them and why they're here, what's important to them and these types of things. Like what's, what's been your approach? Like, I don't know, how would you approach conferences now that maybe you've got much better at that you feel gets the, gets the most out of going to these things and connects with people? How have you improved on that? This podcast is proudly sponsored by Vincere, the ultimate recruitment operating system. They're more than just a recruitment CRM. They are the operating system to support your front, middle, and back office. I'm here this week just to tell you that Vincere continue to grow. They're continuing to innovate. And that means there's plenty of internal opportunities. There's been loads of successful stories within this business from recruiters turned tech sales professionals turned customer success managers but they've taken a lot of successful recruitment professionals into their business and given them great career progression opportunities. So just want to let you know that they're hiring. And I spoke to one of their great stories within the business, Matt, within their customer success division, who has recorded a really short snippet on why he loves working for Vincere. So have a listen. If you're interested, check out the show notes 
And there's a link there to Vincere Careers and you can check out all of their live vacancies. So the main reason I like working at Vincere is, I mean, there's quite a few, but I think the main one is, is just progression. You know, we are such an agile company and we're going through this, you know, hyper growth um, phase of, of growth. And the opportunity is unbelievable. You know, you, the opportunity to do anything you want. If you're good at your job and you can prove that, you know, your talent will be fast tracked and you'll move up the chain. You'll move into a management and leadership role really, really quickly and you'll see your ideas come to life. You know, there's no there's not many layers um, everyone's got an open say. There's no egos as a big part of our strategy. And if you've got good ideas and you're willing to prove them and put them in practice, you'll see those ideas in our process, in our platform, in months, not years. Um, so it's a really just refreshing, it's just really refreshing to be part of a company that, you know, respect that and, and fast track that talent. So that's probably one of the main ones. Um, I would say, you know, it's not just Vincere's, you know, working at Vincere is not just a job. You know, it's not some somewhere where you come, you work nine till five, that's it, you leave, you take your money. It's a career. You know, it's whatever you put in this company is what you get out. And it kind of links back to the progression and the growth. It really is a career. It's a long-term career. Um, so if you're hungry for a challenge, you want to change, you're bored of the same day-to-day, you know, Vincere's is where you want to be, particularly where we are now in our growth stage. It's a really, really exciting time to join um, to join the you know the global global company. Exactly. So I think within within my industry specifically, um, you know, there's obviously suppliers or subcontractors, and then there's yeah. clients, right? So um, you know, the, one thing can't happen without the other at, at every level of the supply chain. Um, so I and I think that you need to go into the conversations and conferences to be like everybody here is open to doing business in some form or another right if not they wouldn't be here um and at the end of the day some conversations and some people that you go up to are going to be more daunting than others but they're probably the ones that are going to make you the most money you know if if you've got somebody who's sat there and and really keen to talk for a long long time um and you know they're not necessarily going to make you any money then you need to be a little bit short and and cutthroat and be like cool i just need to move on now i've got other business to make here um in the most polite possible way of course um, but, you know, be really disciplined with that. And I think that, you know, um, some of the some of the conversations I've had where it's just been like, okay, great, I'll, I'll pitch you as a client. Oh, hold on a sec. Well, you're uh, the director of infrastructure or director of engineering for that company. You're not, you've got a PSL. You're not able to use us. Cool. Well, what's your situation? Could you move? And then it's a direct face-to-face headhunt as well. Yeah, yeah And yeah. people almost, you know, are taken a little bit aback by that. But they'll remember the conversation. And I think that that is a really key thing is, you know, be memorable at those things. Yeah. You can give your business card over, but um, you know, like uh, always remember that people are there to do business and you know, there's the people have an open door policy. Exactly. Uh, I think that's, that's the main message. Um, And yeah, your pitch needs to be good. So so you're not boring, but um, you know, I, I think that you can work on that and you can get trained on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. So then the other thing that I know people will be really interested in uh, is then like the the culture piece or the things that you've had to do to maybe adapt or whatever. I know that it seems like your journey, you've always typically recruited like outside of the UK, but mm. just maybe you've had more of this experience with hiring people for your team and stuff like that. But like, what would you say the main nuanced differences in to like serving like a, a culture like Stockholm, for example, or like the Nordics. I don't know. What are some of the things that maybe you've had to change or tweak slightly that, yeah, just didn't resonate or work in the, in, in those types of marks out of interest. So a lot of people are interested in that. Like how different is it? Would this work? Would that not work? I don't know. Any, any sort of key things that. Yeah. So. Big time, big time. It's, it's massively different to the UK. I think in the UK, a lot of people know what recruitment is and um you know they they kind of know the game a little bit by now and they're already quite educated on how to use recruiters and what it's all about whereas um you know in northern europe i I think that um there's a lot of different types of recruitment companies in northern europe there's like cv sending services and database services and lots of different things so you know it is a little bit more of an education to people Um, and i also think that it's a really good 
um, training bed for people to be like, you've got one chance and that's it. And, you know, it will literally be like, okay, well, we don't like confrontation as much here. Obviously in the UK, we, you know, we, we love a little um, haggle if you <laughs> like, but there they don't like confrontation as much. So if you mess it up, they won't necessarily tell you or they won't give you full details. You know, you'll, you'll all of a sudden have some contact just being like, um, uh, yeah, we're not interested in using you anymore without that much of an explanation. And um, I think that you avoid that by, you know, obviously relationship point coming up again, um, but, you know, providing them with a good service. And if you provide them with a good service and you can show them that you're working hard, um, even if, you know, the results aren't quite there, they understand because it's a candidate led market um, and, you know, the, the skills aren't readily accessible to everybody. And um, if you show them that you're working hard, they'll stick with you. Definitely. Mm, okay. Interesting. Um, so, and I, I think, I think like, sorry, um, no, that, okay, yeah. that, that cultural understanding as well, like, you know, really being able to, um, know that, do you know what, if you call somebody on Swedish midsummer, they will literally never speak to you again because that's basically <laughs> their Christmas day. Um, so, you know, obviously that's the extreme, but you know, little things in between is, is also really, really important. Yeah. Whatever then- country you're working in. And then just real short question, like, are, like, are, because I think sometimes people can just think this, like, are, are people, like, really receptive to, like, speak, like, do they understand that you're based in the UK typically, but you go over there, is that, like, really, like, people aren't like, oh, you're based in the UK, I want to deal with people that are based in Sweden, or, like, I don't know, is that a thing, or, like, are people really yeah, open it, to it? Yeah, definitely, it, it is a big ob- objection that we get. Um, however, you explain the benefits as to why it's, it could be better than some of the, your competitors who are in country and they love it. Um, and not only that, but I, I see it as a massive strength as well. You know, when you're calling a candidate in the city and you're calling from London and you're an English person and you're headhunting somebody and you're using some Swedish terminology or Norwegian terminology or Danish or whatever, you have an edge over your local competition. Um, and because it's a little bit, it's something new, something novel, a bit of flattery. You know, it's not every day they receive a call from an English person. Um, So I'd say it's got strengths and weaknesses um, in both. But I think that one of the ways we've negated that is by hiring a lot of um, Scandinavian people to work in London. And, you know, then obviously we say you get the best of both. Um, (laughs) So I I think uh, that's a, a really, really important um thing to understand that don't have limiting beliefs around you know your language if you're good you're good if you provide a good service and you provide the right people people don't give a shit where it comes from or how much it costs you know well to a point um but you know i think like it doesn't matter where you're from it just yeah, provide no, a good no service thanks for being really candid and honest about that yeah it's like it's easily something that you could tell yourself as to why you couldn't expand your desk or like crack that market do you know what i mean but and, and that's why we're having these conversations. Um, so look, what I'm really keen to do over, over the next sort of 15, 20 minutes then is just like, I really unpack this leadership journey of yours because a lot of recruiters listen to this will definitely be aspiring leaders. And that can sometimes be like a really difficult path. But before we do really quickly, just because we're talking a lot here around like Marcus building um, a desk, having more success, these types of things. Just another really popular area, we've spoken about new business, we're speaking about the nuances of, yeah, working um, uh, Europe, European market, but really interested to hear your journey with day plans and structure. Day plans. It's, it's just yeah. a really popular area. Like people are interested in like, what what does Marcus's typical day plan that like that he feels gives him the best chance of like maximizing your working day, getting the most out of your activity. And I'm sure this is something that you help people in your your team with now but like when Mm. when you were like really yeah like smashing in the deals like really at the peak of like really building out your core markets and stuff like I guess Mm. what were the non-negotiables surrounding Marcus's typical day that you felt like enabled you to get the most out of what you were putting in yeah that this is um a really hot topic for us at the moment actually I did a training session on this yesterday so uh nice and fresh so I think um uh, and I had one of your other podcasts where it's just like so rigid and so planned. Um, yeah. I, I wasn't really that type of recruiter. Um, okay. I, I see a recruitment day as two different things. I think okay. one is 
high level and reactive tasks. So by that, I mean like, you know, going from closing deals, offers outstanding, second stage feedback, second stage interview requests, first stage prep, all of those things, which is to do with your interview processes. Okay, I don't think you can set a specific time of day unless you've got a booked in call around some of those things, right? But they're things that you want to tick off throughout the day. I think after that, you then have open tasks, all right? And then open tasks are around what you're doing proactively. So if you need jobs, it's business development around CVs that you've spec'd out, around leads that you've generated, around or whatever. Um, or it's an open task around, cool, I've got three jobs at the moment in two different skill sets. I'm going to spend, um, you know, this much time, you know, three hours in the afternoon on those two because obviously there's a better chance to place if there's two. And then I'm going to spend, you know, an hour and a half on that that last one. All right. Um, and then that that's kind of um, balancing your day versus the opportunities and commitment that you have is how I see that. Then afterwards, so this is something that we're massively hot on at the moment, is that um, you need to have your day plan done for the next day. And you need to have a um, have marketed out, um, you know, candidate singles and emails and LinkedIn messages and all that stuff to fuel your day for the next day. Um, and also send out any spec CVs or floats or whatever right at the end of the day. And that's kind of like a, a daily checklist that we've got going on at the moment. Nice. I think that what's really important is to have a target each day, right? And have, you know, not necessarily strict set of KPIs, but, you know, I want to achieve this in terms yeah. of my proactive work, right? Yeah. And this is what I can definitely affect. However, what my goal is, is to get a CV in for this job today. Yeah. And do you know what? I could do this part amazingly well, but that part, you know, I, I can't necessarily affect as much as that, that part. So I'll focus on that part and that part will look after itself. Um, so yeah, I'd say that I, I, I may be a little bit more flexible and follow my nose and that sort of thing, um, more than other recruiters, but I, I um, and, and not so rigid, but yeah, that, that's basically how I like to look at things, open tasks and closed tasks. Now, thanks for sharing that. I think, yeah, really common theme, something I always big advocate on because it had such an impact is, yeah, if you're not, if you're listening to this and you're not starting your day before it starts, do change that. So like you said, understand before you come into the office, before you go into the office tomorrow, like what you need to be focusing on, etc. Really like the addition that you just said, like setting your future day up for success so like doing those things that could mean that you get more traction the following day like you said the LinkedIn messages such things and yeah. then what I really like with what you said which is something I definitely need to improve on but has also come from some of the sessions that we've been doing in the recruitment mentors platform recently on this obviously the added benefit of like adding a target so for example like you said if you blocked out two three hours on BD or candidate sourcing for a particular job. Like the great thing about also setting a target in those two to three hours is that one, you can actually see how you did rather than like finishing that time and going, oh, how did that actually go? Cause sometimes you can mm. feel like that, can't you? It's like, how good, how, yeah. how well did that go? And mm. then the other great thing is then you can reflect on it. You can review yeah. it. So like if you, if your target was to, to um, speak to five hiring managers and you mm. spoke to three, part of the end of your day or at the end of the week, which I really recommend is then having some sort of self-reflection review of like, how did the week go or whatever. You can then review those things and go, yeah. right, why didn't I speak to five hiring managers? Well, I didn't get my, I didn't get my call list planned. That definitely had an impact. And like, if you have then those targets, you can then give yourself space to be like, right, what am I going to do next time to make sure I do hit the target rather than just having the block time? I think that's exactly. a great addition. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. And you've got to have enough of a sample of what you're doing to work out what's going wrong. And yeah. at the end of the day, if you're only calling 10 candidates a week and you're getting no CVs in, then, you know, you, your um, understanding of your skill level and the reasons why is going to be so much less if you just absolutely went for it, made 40 calls, and then actually could pick up a trend of, um, yeah. you know, okay, great. Well, uh, that person missed ROE, so I need to work on my commitment for, um, ROE. Um, so yeah. mate, I'm, I'm massively on board with that, you know, sit and reflect on, on the day before, have a look at your targets. Um, I think the other thing that's good to mention around day plan is, um, what you're doing before you get to the office. 
right? Because <laughs> I, 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 um, I, I can't remember which podcast it was, but I, I, I listened to something that was just like, you really need to warm your brain up before you get into the office. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I know uh, I've been guilty of it in the past. That I've been just sat there mindlessly playing on sort of manager, um, <laughs> you know, for my, for my commute for 45 minutes. But, you know, what I actually did in the end was started um, doing some Duolingo um, for Swedish words on my phone. Nice. And, and that basically gets your brain into gear. Either that or go, and go for a run, you know, get your endorphins going, get your exercise going, get blood to your brain. And I think that's another way to, to really kind of stop this really slow start when you get to the office. Um, you know, I had a girl say on your podcast as well that, um, you know, I want to make sure that when I come in, I'm half an hour before my competition and I'm on it. And uh, yeah, I thoroughly believe that, you know, you shouldn't be waiting until 9, 9.30 to start making your first call. You should be on it straight away. And, and the best way to do that is really warm yourself up and get the blood pumping, basically. Yeah, yeah for sure. Right, so are we okay for time? Like the final, like last next 15 minutes, I just want to talk to you about your leadership journey. Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. Okay, cool. So obviously, obviously we spoke a lot around the billion piece. So then obviously like we um, spoke about before we started this, and then it seems like you've been on then a sort of leadership journey for the last five years or around about that. So as I said mm. in, in the introduction, mm. you, you now you're responsible to manage 23 consultants. Um, I guess let's just go into the stuff that maybe a lot of people can learn from. Like what, what were some of your maybe one to three biggest challenges going from like Marcus, the biller, just worrying about Marcus's billings performance to then being responsible for other people. That's obviously grown the amount of people, but like what have been some of your biggest challenges that you've had to work through that maybe people could learn from that you've had to work through on this leadership journey? Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely not ashamed to say this because I think it's a massive part of the a journey that any manager will go through. But obviously, when you're billing, doing deals, you know, you're the one banging the gong or ringing the bell, having um, your deal yeah. tunes played or whatever it is. And then you kind of go from that to a little bit in the shadows um, and yeah. letting other people take the limelight a little bit. And um, I've got to admit that, you know, I'm somebody who, you know, likes to be. Um, uh, you know, it, in the limelight and likes to get recognition and all that sort of stuff. And then when all of a sudden that started to taper off and, you know, I, I wasn't going on club lunches for deals, but okay. I was managing people who were, uh, you know, a, a little bit of jealousy crept in, but you do have to get to the point where it's just like, okay, grow up a little bit. You know, it's not about you anymore. You've had a really good journey where people have taught you and, you know, built you up to the point where you've got to this place. So now you need to do that for other people. Um, and I think, yeah, that, that was just a bit of growing up, basically, yeah. and, and um, having a word with yourself. Uh, I also think that, secondly, I'm, I'm quite an emotional person. You know, I think the textbook on recruitment is, um, you know, stay flatline. You know, never yeah. get, never, never let the highs get too high. Yeah, I'm not that guy, and I, I don't try and be anyone different, really. Um, you know, if you look at someone like Jurgen Klopp, who's one of the best leaders, you know, when they score a goal, he goes absolutely crazy. And when they lose, <laughs> yeah, he's upset. So and, uh, you know, I think that people buy into that passion and um, people buy into that. However, you know, you've got to harness it in the right way. Um, I think when I first started off as a leader, a lot of my management was based on feeling and based on emotion and based on what I was thinking. And I, I didn't ever have any evidence or clarity or transparency around what I expected and, and what the goals were. Um, and you know, I think that when you're small and you're a team of two or three and they know you and they get you, it's, it's fine. But you know, when you get to a team of above six or seven or eight, um, you're not so involved in everybody. Everybody doesn't know you as well as those people who have perhaps grown with you and seen some good times. It makes it really hard. And, and, you know, th there's nothing more embarrassing than sitting in front of somebody and, you know, you criticizing them and then saying them saying, "Where's the evidence for that?" And you're just like, "I don't know. I just got a, I just got a feeling." Got a um, feeling, yeah. You know, if you're just like, "I've sat down. Here are your numbers. I've analysed your calls. Um, here's what you're missing out. Um, and by the way, you're not uh, you're not doing enough of this or enough of that because I can see that the month before you had a good result on this, etc." Then. Um, you know, that, that's when it's tangible and, and it can give something to, to work from. Um, so, yeah, I think that that, that's, that was a big learning curve is managing from um, emotion works to a point. 
but um, you know you do also need a lot of tangible evidence stuff uh, because I, I do think that you know people buy into people who are passionate and, and a little bit emotional and um, wear their heart on the sleeve uh, and aren't just a you know management robot who just sits and looks at numbers in the sheet. Yeah. No, no one, no one likes that guy. No one. Yeah. What 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 you're also saying there is being you're you're being authentic. You're like being true to yourself and I think what what I really took from what you just said there is which I think sometimes can be a challenge or sometimes isn't communicated that can have a real impact is like making like how many if you're listening to this right now and you have a small or growing team like how many of your consultants actually know what the standards are like do, yeah. do, you, do they know what is expected of them if they mm. don't then there's there's obviously clearly going to be some bumps and some challenges right because if a consultant goes well I've done this and in your head you're like well I want you to be here. It's like, well, hang on a minute. Like, do you get what I mean? So I think that's clearly something that that just really sort of jumped out at me when you said that around having clear understanding and standards on like where we want people to be striving for. Rather exactly. Than guesswork. Exactly. And, and, you know, a lot of people have like a KPI of 25 phone calls or 20 phone calls or 10 phone calls or however much, but what is a phone call? You know, <laughs> you like, you know, there's got to be some sort of criteria because if not, it's just a, all right, mate, you're looking for a new job. All right, no, I'm not. Okay, see ya. Yeah, cool. I'll, I'll add, that, add yeah. that to my KPI. Um, and literally, you know, it took somebody sitting in front of me and saying, well, yeah, here's, here's my eight calls. I've already done it after two hours. And they were just literally all like that to me realizing, actually, you do need some clarity around what actually constitute a call even. Um, and, you know, phone time, for example, like, all right, great. You've been on the phone for an hour and a quarter today to two candidates well you know that's not really enough um you know it should be an hour and a quarter to five or six candidates but people don't know that until they're given the framework and i'd say that's my kind of third main point about leadership is um give people a, a framework and this is something i learned off a guy called andrew silito as well um you know he sat nice. us down as, as managers and um was just like um gave us basically a puzzle and then gave us a diagram of the puzzle and and it was quite simple but the amount of time it took us to complete it was amazing because he gave us the framework and if people don't have that to go off then they're not going to be able to solve the puzzle right so you've got to make sure that your infrastructure and your process and your learning and all of that sort of stuff gives people that framework and i think something that i created which i'm really proud of is i created basically a 26 page document on how to recruit from all of my training sessions I've ever done, I type them up and um, yeah, put them into something called the Infrex. Um, and yeah, I think that really gives people a, a gold standard and a process. And you know, if you go outside of these lines, then you know you're, you're not sticking to what we believe in, and you know there'll be issues because um, yeah, this is what we know and this is what works. Um, so I think that's also a really really good part of this framework point as well. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. The the next thing that I think sort of leadership and, and managers on this journey can find difficult as well is then like getting the best out of their team. So like talk to us a bit about that. Typically we hear people talk about really understand it, that they had to go on a bit of a journey and understand like, okay, what are my people, what, what are, in, are my individual people really motivated by, understand that. But like what's been your journey in like maximizing like your team and, and getting the most out of them because I think a common challenge that sometimes people can go through as well is like you may have the like Marcus expectations on someone that isn't Marcus right so like you yeah. think about why aren't they doing that like that's something that I would do and that that isn't quite scalable and isn't always gonna work right so I don't know what what's been your journey in like getting the most out of your team keeping them motivated helping them achieve high performance what what does that look like for you yeah, so I actually learned this quite a lot from um, from the person I worked with in my first company and the person I worked with um, at Thor Nick, who, um, and I think they were very, very similar characters and very, very similar. However, one had compassion, Nick had compassion, and he actually showed he cares. Yeah. Um, and the other guy didn't, you know, they were both full of energy and lots, <laughs> of, lots of consequences and a bit of whipping here and there and... and you know, a, a lot of uh, tough chats and, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, one in compassion, the other one didn't. So I think that, um, you know, showing people that you care is really, really important and you care about them, not not about just yourself. 
and that you genuinely want them to do well. And at the end of the day, I think I say this to everyone when I came in, I've had a great journey. You know, I've learned so much. Um, I've achieved a lot. Uh, so I feel anyway. Um, but I think that um, if I don't show that to those people, then I'm not, I'm not doing them a favor, I, I don't think. So, yeah, I think that, that's the biggest thing for me is that compassionate side of management. Just get to know people, show them you care. Don't treat them as a number, you know, make sure that they are somebody who you could sit in a, in a pub with and have a pint with and, um, you know, shoot the shit before you yeah, hire yeah. them. Because then you, you will be compassionate for that person and want them to do well when they, when they are there. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's the main thing. And yeah, there's all the like, find out what people are motivated by, find out what their goals are. And, you know, when do you want to buy a house in the next two or three years? And, oh, you want a Gucci or Fendi handbag or, or whatever. <laughs> you know, that, that's great. But it's a bit shallow, um, you know. And, and I think that, like, um, if you just show people you want what's best for them, then I think that, that's a, a great way to, to get that buy-in, basically. Yeah. No, I know it sounds really basic to show compassion, but it is, it's easy to say it and there's another thing to actually like like deliver it, to like live and breathe it every single day, to mean it. And it's it's really interesting actually you say that because <clears throat> I know we both spoke about this, like we're both big fans of the uh, high performance podcast and I'm a like huge fan of like Ben Francis and the Gymshot journey. I think he's just super inspirational, really down to earth, big on humility. And one thing that he said a lot recently in the podcast that I listened to him about was the CEO that he brought in. He said one of his biggest assets is like the people management piece. And the thing that's always stuck with him, and you'll hear it on the podcast if you listen to it, Marcus, but basically it was something along the lines of like, don't ask people how they are if you're not prepared to listen to the yeah. answer. And how many times have you experience that where someone goes oh marcus how are you yeah and like you don't feel like they're listening do you know what i mean and that's the compassion bit like don't ask how people are if you're not prepared to listen to the answer and i think that's what you're saying well, I, like, I think that's, yeah uh, absolutely and that's something i'm really proud of is that if i took any or i really hope you know if they listen to this <laughs> they'll, they'll do this but um you know I'd, I'd say that if i sat somebody down in the room the first question i asked them was how are you they'd give me a completely honest answer and I'd listen yeah, to it. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't I don't want somebody being positive for, for the sake of it. I want someone to give it to me straight. How are you actually feeling? And, and you know what? If you are feeling demotivated, um, you know, we all go through that. Uh, it, of, of course we do. We all go through a slight lulls, even when, you know, I was I felt like I was at the top of my game um bidding, you know, there'd be a month where, you know, it'd be a little bit slower and you'd have a little bit less interviews and whatever. But um you know, I, I think that as long as people can say that to you, I completely agree, Isham. I think, yeah. you know, um, that shows that they buy into you and, and that you are compassionate and that you actually care how they're feeling and that you will actually listen, I think. Yeah. So, so look, before we finish here, I just want to touch on like what, like what you're excited about, the future. But before we do, really quickly, I have to sort of ask, like, as I said, like early on, like not many people, like many people, will be told like told like this is where we are today and this is where we're going but you were the temp hire like four on there on the verge of like hiring 100 like being 100 people in the business like what i guess what have you taken from this journey so far and like being part of this sort of yeah real growth story like what has helped you i don't know like i don't know what comes up when we think of like going from 10 people to 98 people like i don't know what have been some of the maybe key highlights or key things that I guess you're never going to forget in in this journey. Yeah, so I think the um, the feeling of just constantly doing placements and waking up in the morning, a CV is in your inbox, and you're just like, I know that makes that job makes sense to that person. I'm going to place yeah. them. I'll, I'll never forget that feeling, and and it, it kind of went on for two years. And it is, you know, it's you feel a, a bit unstoppable. Like it's a, yeah. it a brilliant feeling. Um, and then I think the the next the the next thing I'll take from it is you know really growing and being entrepreneurial in a business. And you know I was lucky enough to not just stick within one vertical my whole career. I've managed to kind of go to two or three or four or five or, or six seven different industries and help grow teams within within that. And I think that that's been a, a great thing. Like replicating the process, but also flexing it depending on the industry yeah. is amazing. And I think that, um, you know, like giving 
like giving people the opportunity to um i don't know surprise you a little bit like you know it's not all about you as a leader it's about them and um you know, I'm, I'm probably still guilty of it now sometimes is, is trying to maybe take a little bit too much control and not really giving enough out to the guys and, and, and that sort of thing. And something I'm working on a lot, but you know, people will come up with some absolute gold and your idea isn't always the best idea as a leader. So, you know, create a, create a committee, create a, um, a, a platform where people can come up to you and, and, uh, share your ideas and, and be entrepreneurial themselves. I think. Yeah. I love that. And then, before I ask you a bit about what you're excited about, may, may I get this? Obviously, this I've this totally been inspired by like the high performance podcast. But just interested yeah. as this as as these teams have been growing, the business has been growing. What would you say are like the three non negotiables that everyone sort of abides who lives to on on the culture side? As this is scout, just super interested that you think everyone lives by, stands by. Yeah, so I think. Um... Firstly, no one's bigger than the club. <laughs> such, <laughs> such a cliche, such a cliche, but literally like, um, you know, you're never too big to sweep the sheds at the end of the day. You can be a team leader, but, um, at, you know, you've still got to turn up to work on time. And yeah. you, know, you can be doing deal upon deal upon deal, but you've got to think that you're a role model within that business. And, you know, if you're behaving like that and you're the top biller, you know, some rookies coming in is going to see that person and just be like, well, hold on, they're behaving like that. I can get to that point eventually. No. So I think that, that that's definitely the main thing is to keep up the standards throughout, no, no matter how big or successful that you get. Um, I think the second thing is always grow. If not, you're going to die. Um, mm. You know, I think that um, when you bring new people into a business, um, there is a, a fresh kind of perspective, fresh bit of accountability and uh, everyone kind of ups their game a little bit because, you know, whether they're a graduate or whether they're an experienced hire, um, you know, they'll, they'll come in and they'll hit the ground running and then other people will also hit the ground running. So if you're, if you're not growing, you're dying. If you're not seeing the platform to grow within the industry that you're in and the market that you're in, go and do something about it. You know, go and look at another sector, go and deep dive into where the investments are being made all over the world off the back of COVID. I think that that's a, a really, really important, important thing. And I think the third one is probably the, the framework point. Um, I'm going to give you a fourth one as well in a sec. But the third one, third one is the framework point. Um, you know, give people a framework and they'll, and, and set people up to succeed basically. And, and they'll do really well. Um, and then the fourth one is when things aren't going your way and you know, you you've got, a bit of adversity or, you know, you've had a tough couple of months, look in the mirror, don't blame external factors. You know, um, we touched, we touched on earlier, take responsibility for what you're doing. You know, if you've had 40 calls and, um, you know, you've not got a CV in or, you know, you've had five offers rejected, that's not all down to bad luck. <laughs> you know, you, you, you need to really, really look at what you're doing and take responsibility. And, and same for me as a manager, you know, if you've had a tough month, how did you set your team up the, not the month before? Um, you know, my business wasn't crap the month before they did 10 grand yields or whatever, but now, you know, we've, we've dropped off a bit. So why was that? Ask yourself the question, come up with a plan, make it better. And, uh, yeah, go into the next month or the next week or, or next day, you know, really, really, um, trying to improve on that point after looking in the mirror. Love it. Look, final question. What were you excited about before then? What's on the horizon? Obviously, yeah, been there for seven years now. Obviously, being in there for a decade is going to be an exciting milestone for you. Like, what, what you when you think of the future at four, what, what do you see? What are you excited about? Well, I think across the whole business, you know, we've um, what we've started to do is hire some. Uh, you know, we've always been quite organic, taking a lot of graduates. We've now started to hire some really good people, uh, experienced people, and I think that what's great is that um, you know they've come into our environment and our culture and they've they've hit the ground running and i think it's because they really like that i'm not selling by the way but um you know i think they really really like the culture so I, I think that they can really really um kick on within thor and take us to the next level and then when we do hire more graduates which will happen throughout the next year um you know they, they will be able to learn even more from those people so i'm really really excited about that definitely and i think within my unit um within engineering i, I feel like we're in 
such a, a good niche and good vertical and the strategy is really set to kick on for the next year to really smash it out of the park and, and see some more growth. Um, I think that we've got some amazingly talented individuals in my team. Um, they know the process, they know what to do. Um, now they just have to go out and, and do it. And, uh, you know, we've just had a lot of work on our strategy over the last couple of months, but I really, really feel like they're in a good place to smash it up now in the next year or so. Brilliant. Look, I think uh, I absolutely love your passion and really excited to see how things evolve over the next couple of years. But been on a, such a great journey from, yeah, not doing many deals the last couple of years, but persevered, made it happen and uh, been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, Marcus. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Ishan. Done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? And if you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.